because you've got the tools in place, that puts you in a really strong position to build strong relationships. Inevitably, that will allow you to become the glue that connects you and the connective tissue between all these different teams because they'll trust you. And you have that level of insight that's important to the business. But if you don't have that, you can either be the pritstick, <laughs> which is not very strong and, they, and, they, and it doesn't really fit and they'll lose faith in you or you can become that, that gorilla glue that sticks elephants to the wall. Gainsight presents the Game Changer Podcast with host Adam Joseph. Hello, and welcome to the Game Changer Podcast brought to you by Gainsight. That clip was from today's guest, Troy Prattley, Head of Customer Success EMEA at Amplitudes. Today, we're talking all about how to raise the profile of customer success internally. What does the C-suite really look for customer success to deliver? How should you deliver status updates during internal executive reviews? Learn that and more in today's episode. And now, your host, Adam Joseph. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Gamesight Game Changer podcast series. I'm Adam Joseph, the Director of Customer Success at Gamesight. So when considering customer success, we immediately tend to think about the external relationships that occur between a, a software vendor and their customers. However, the internal relationships that your customer success team holds with other groups such as sales, marketing, support, and product are equally as important. It's also imperative that senior executives within the C-level suite also understand that customer success isn't just the name of a team, but that it's a driving ethos that binds together the entire business around helping customers achieve their outcomes. With that being said, however, I've spoken to several customer success professionals who have struggled to be heard properly internally and actually suffered from a low profile that in times of economic downturn that we have in the moment with COVID-19 has unfortunately led to furloughs and layoffs. So how can you help raise the profile of customer success within your business? I'm thrilled to say that joining me to discuss this topic is Troy Prattley, the Head of Customer Success Ampliance. Troy, a very, very warm welcome to you. Hi there, Adam. Great intro. I'm, I'm pumped now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try my best, mate. Give us a, a quick intro into yourself, and then we'll, we'll kind of get to get, get to know you a bit better after that. Yeah, great. Thanks, Adam. So, yeah, thanks for inviting me to join on this. It's really exciting, and uh, you know, to talk about customer success. Uh, very passionate about it. So, I've been in uh, customer success, account management, and solutions-based roles for the past twelve years now in in the SaaS industry. I suppose, really, from my point of view, it's given me a you know a great view on how to work with other individuals and other teams and understand ultimately what drives them, you know, so have that empathy for people. We are currently working for Ampliance, who are a headless content management system specializing in digital commerce. So people will probably ask, what does headless mean? <laughs> well, really, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, sounds a bit, it sounds a bit daunting, doesn't it? It headless. does a little bit, like Halloween. Yeah. I'm not sure we came up with that one, but essentially what it means is that, you know, you can uh, distribute content across lots of different digital channels from a single platform. So you have a content management system and you can send content to social channels, e-commerce websites, um, in-store kiosks, all that sort of thing. So you know, if anybody's interested, go to Ampliance.com 
and check it out. <laughs> Good, nice plug, yeah. nice plug, Troy. So, <laughs> so before we get into the, the, the main topic of today, I know one thing that we have in common is is a love of cycling. So I know lots of people have got their bike out of the shed in, in times of lockdown to get your exercise in. Actually, it's interesting with me at the age of 44, there's not many people who take their training wheels off at that age, but I, I just learned how to ride a bike for the first time. So I go, it shows that you're never too old to try something new. Tell us a little bit about it, because you've got a passion for cycling as well. What, what, what trails you like to go on? How, how, how does that manifest itself with you? Did you have to use stabilizers? Oh my God, it was so embarrassing. I, when I, it was, <laughs> I learned just before lockdown and there were people, I was learning near a college and there were people recording me on their mobile phones laughing their heads off. So oh, I, well, I chose to ignore it all and be the bigger man. Well, that's it. You are the bigger man for doing it. <laughs> well, I'm a big guy man. anyway. <laughs> Congratulations. It's, uh, Thank you. So I had a bike for years on a cycle to work scheme and I just didn't use it because I was based in London. And then I moved out to the countryside. And I, uh, yeah, COVID gave you a good opportunity because I was commuting less. So I got the, uh, the bike out and I thought, I just said to my wife, I said, I'm not going to be that guy who's got all the gear and no idea. <laughs> and about two weeks later, I was that guy. <laughs> so I've, I've got all the, the, the skinny gear, the, the, the shorts, the, the cleats that you clip on, that you fall out, all that kind of stuff. But it is good. And I take it all back, all of that stuff I used to say and, and all the beeps I, I, I directed at the cyclists. <laughs> I take it all back. I'm, I'm ashamed. <laughs> well, I love my cycling. I'm not quite sure the world's ready to see me in, in uh, pink lycra, but you never <laughs> know. I mean, just be glad this is a a podcast and I can't show any dodgy pictures of me on my bike. So <laughs> getting more into today's discussion, which is about raising the profile of customer success internally. As, as I mentioned, your main trial, I think lots of businesses have customer success, but I think it's fair to say that it's taken more seriously in some organizations than others. And you can definitely tell in economic downturns if customer success is really binded into their, their company ethos and it, it's helped driving their business forward. So what would your advice be to anyone to, if they wanted the, the role of customer success to be even more prominent in their business, to, to be, for it to be taken even more seriously than it is now? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, especially in these times. I think mm. the main thing really here is the focus is all on retention. So, you know, new business is probably harder to come by. Teams are squeezed in terms of resources. So, they're going to try and you know do the most with what they've currently got. So from a CS perspective, all the focus becomes on customer success, really, and retention. That's what's driving all of this activity. But I mean, this this translates generally as well, you know, and how you elevate the the profile of CS within a business. And I think, you know, you talk to a lot of CS, CSMs, and I feel uh, certainly a couple of years ago, I don't know if it's the case now still, but they, they felt like it's a bit of a dumping ground. So if any if if anybody she mentions the word customer hey, that's customer success because I just don't want to deal with it. <laughs> and that's kind of been the case. It's a kind of catch-all. But I think what you do to make that success is that you have to start owning something. Oh, and that for sure. you need to own is retention. And that's so, the most important thing. Yeah. So that, that's a really interesting point because very often there might be other teams who also want to own retention. So for example, yeah. uh, in a lot of businesses, they, they'll have an account management type group that's actually commercially responsible for the, the renewal and upsell or cross-sell opportunities. So do, do you see there being a problem with having two groups kind of actually owning that retention number? Uh, because I fundamentally agree with you for customer success to, mm. to really show its value internally, you, you have to own something. You have to control a metric that you can show yeah. on to the executive team. 
Mm -hmm. Actually, we're responsible for helping improve gross retention or net retention from from X to Y. So do you see it being an issue if you've got more than one group owning the same metric? I think you have to, the way you have to look at it is traditionally you need to do both things to make it successful and a successful account. There's one, you need to drive the value. The people who have traditionally been in solutions roles and customer support roles are very good at that. And account management, and I, you know, I'm not saying there's not, no, there's not, they're not out there, mm. but they're very commercially focused. And those two things can collide sometimes and not a great way for a customer and their customer experience. So I'd argue that you know, maybe the best combination would be that you get the two working in harmony with one another, where customer success are much more focused on driving value to the customer, understanding their issues and solving them and making sure they're satisfied customers. And that should tee up the account manager to be able to negotiate that contract to its highest value and ultimately drive a long-term partnership. That's kind of what everybody wants, right? A customer wants to be with a trusted partner and and you want to build a good relationship with a customer as well and have a long-term partnership. I'm yeah. a big advocate that they, those two can work together, but I think there's various degrees of, of, of what you do or nuances between the, that relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it really does. I mean, I think the other key way for me that I, I firmly believe in if you want to get customer success to be taken mm-hmm. seriously at your business is having a seat at the table, especially rem- kind of going back to my consulting days, one of the most common questions that I used to get asked <laughs> is, well, where does customer success sit? Yeah, Because I, I've seen various different models. I've seen it with, you know, reporting into the chief revenue officer. Mm-hmm. I've seen it report into operations into marketing and no one was really sure where, where it sat now yeah. we have definitely seen the the rise of the chief customer officer role and, and i'm a huge believer in that especially yeah. you know in any SaaS business where reoccurring revenue is the lifeblood of what you do and actually new business is only a relatively small percentage having just a chief revenue officer there or someone kind of commercially minded on new business to me never made a huge amount of sense Mm. Uh, when recurring revenue and net retention was was the thing driving the business, so I've certainly seen an, an increase of that that chief customer officer role. I think it's you know tells external stakeholders how seriously the customer relationship is to that business, but also means that the the CEO, that individual making those make or break decisions, is hearing someone directly invested in that that customer relationship and retention. Is that something you've seen as well, Troy? Would you go along with that or do you have a slightly different view? Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the case. They might be different in different guises, chief customer officer, CCO, CSO, chief sales officer. But ultimately, they're responsible for revenue. Chief revenue officer is another one, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting how that, that dynamic works. I think you get to a certain size of business where you know those recurring revenues are, like you said, the lifeblood. And the focus is on that. And naturally, what happens is if everything's going okay, then you probably, they're maybe not so much focused. But when things are not going so well and you might, you know, somebody might churn that you weren't expecting or as a large value customer, then that's when uh, you know, the tides will turn somewhat. But I think you're right. You have to have a seat at a table and make that visible. And the thing that they're going to be most in, uh, interested in is that retention number. Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, you have to report. What I would say is, even if there's some conflict or about who owns what, the, the, the sales number, you can still own that together. You can still report on your gross retention percentage. And, and you should do that anyway, because you're probably, you're probably closer to forecasting what that number is than maybe the, the sales department, because you know exactly what's going on in the account. So I think there is a, a way you can work in harmony with one another, but you need to be able to get that data right to the top whether it's directly to the C-level or via proxy from a, a kind of lower, lower in a hierarchy. Mm. 
making that data visible about performance and forecasting is kind of critical to make it for customer success to be taken seriously for sea level kind of uh, a sea level I'd say yeah I mean again it's an interesting point so when I've talked to CFOs and CEOs about customer success one of the most common questions is well what what does customer success own and then we've talked mm. about some of those key metrics there but also once you kind of get a sense on, on what you own but also what you can positively influence as well. It's about reporting that on an ongoing basis. So obviously, yeah. you know, I work at, uh, at Gainsight and Gainsight is used a lot, not just for CSMs who use it to record their day-to-day activity and to help automate some of their key playbooks, but also in that reporting of you know how customer success is operating and most importantly the impact that's having on the business as well. Yeah. So when you when you report up and, and want to show that you know the the positive impact that your team's making, what what tends to be on your dashboard? I know you're a, a kind of gainsight customer as well. So tell us yeah. about what you want to show, what you tend to show on your dashboard so that anyone across your business can see the impact of what you're doing. Well I think yeah this is probably a really important point to make. So I mean you know we, we talked about kind of C level a, a, quite a lot there. But you know, for, for customer success to be taken seriously in your business, not just at C level, you need to be able to present that data across the business. So one of the things I would I would recommend somebody doing is showing your your customer data across the business, and that's including mm-hmm. product development, sales and marketing, and constant re- reinforcing it and showing your 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 reporting, your data, your dashboards, so they understand what you do. Because what that, what will soon happen after that is go actually. I wonder the customer success team can help me with this. You know, actually, I need a reference call from a customer from sales. Who can help me? And if you can very quickly, you know, spin up a report or give them access to something very quickly, that's helpful to them. And that builds up your profile within the business as well and makes it much more visible. So that's all I'd say on that one. But in terms of, you know, reporting from a retention standpoint, you need a very solid health scorecard. That's the most important thing. Without that, I'd, I'd say you're kind of nowhere and you really need to, because that's, that's what's going to help you essentially forecast that GRR. So let's say that you, you have a traffic light system when it's, you know, or a five-tier traffic light system. You can then use that to, re- do, to do some forecasting, but then you then present on a weekly basis to the C-level so they can understand where they're at as a business and start forecasting in terms of GRR and also understand where they need to put some more effort. And trying to do that six, at least six months ahead of time, six to nine months ahead of time, is a time frame I would suggest on that front. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched upon something that's a really hot topic for mm. so many organizations, which is developing an effective scorecard. I know it's slightly away from, from the topic here, but I get asked a lot about, you know, what's your recommendation? If we're starting off building up a, a base level scorecard, what do we want to include? So I'd love to just uh, quickly touch on how Amplins do it. I mean, traditionally, you know, components such as, Adoption information, both breadth and depth. Voice of the customer. So if you've got, for example, net promoter score or something similar whereby you're capturing the sentiment of the the customer. Support tickets, the customer success manager or account manager, depending on what that role is called uh, in different businesses, what their sentiment is. So, you know, a manual feel. Whether you've captured customers' desired outcomes and whether you've achieved those or not. Those tend to be the, the at least the, the characteristics of a lot of the scorecards that we see that tend to be really effective. Mm-hmm. How have Amplients attacked that particular question? Well, very similarly, we use Gainsight. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, you have to be quite pragmatic about the way you look at it. And I think what you can charge into is, um, you know, the kind of standard templates. And I think that's a good place to start. So you look at, you know, uh, deployment. So what are people using? 
and then you can look at adoption, so what features and how much they're using the, prop, uh, the your, your platform as well. And then you have to look at things like you said, NPS and feedback. Then also, I think actually one of the most important ones is risk because you can have all those things working for you. But if something else is happening within that company that you're privy to or, or you just have a sense of, then that can be basically an override. So, you know, absolutely everything. I'm, I'm all green on those other areas. There is one thing that means that we're that customer's renewals at a risk. That's what's going to be really important to implement as well. Mm. But I would also say that you need to have complete faith in it. So don't just implement something for the sake of it because you think you need to really think hard about what drives value for your customers, what delivers successful outcomes, and then you have to trust it. And then you'll iterate it. You'll never get it right first time. (laughs) But you have to trust it because everything hangs off of that scorecard. You can't do the reporting without it. You can't go to a meeting, an internal executive meeting, and say, this is where we are with a customer. You have to have to fully trust that, and you know you'll find ways to that you'll improve it over time. And you can do things like waiting systems, where you can say actually deployment is the most important thing, or an actual fact delivering outcomes is the most important thing. And you'll find where the sweet spot is for you. But that's where I would focus on is those kind of key metrics that you discussed, Adam. Yeah. But you've got to have faith in it. If if you don't, you're not going to sound credible in front of anybody. And even you've got and when you do have faith in it, you can even share it with customers, right? And say, yeah. hey. Are we here? Do you remind, right? <laughs> well, I, I, you raise some great points. I, I mean, I, I do think all scorecards need to evolve because if you've yeah. got the same scorecard methodology now that you were using a year or two ago, it, it, I would question whether it's still fit for purpose today. Yeah, I'm also a fan of kind of the crawl, walk, run progression where you might start yeah. off focusing purely on risk, but then as you build in additional components and you know look for growth opportunities as well, it, it, it can be used in different ways. And also... Yeah. Now, a scorecard that you have for an SMB type customer might look slightly different to as you do for an enterprise customer. Yeah. So perhaps you have to have some kind of nuance there. The one thing I would say is uh, a common mistake that I see organizations make is trying to make it too complicated too quickly. Yeah. You know, you have 100 different components, 1% each, and, and it becomes unwieldy very quickly. I always think the minute you, you kind of go beyond 10 measures, it's probably too complicated. So start off with that, you know, think about the crawl, walk, run progression. Think about if, if you, to build up common characteristics of churn customers versus those that thrive, to start with a blank piece of paper. What are those common characteristics and what can we measure? Because it can't just be all gut feel. And there you've got the starting point for a fantastic scorecard. And to your point, Troy, as well, is it, it really can be the linchpin because so much of the other data that we look at in customer success is a lagging indicator. Churn is a lagging indicator. Usage is a lagging indicator. Yeah. Because by the time you know the result, it's already happened. The great thing about a scorecard is it, it should be predictive. And that's the, the beauty behind it. Yeah, well said. Thank you. And just moving the, the, the conversation on, I said during my intro there that you know we often think about customer success purely on the external angle. But of course, mm. it, that, that can only be effectively delivered when it stands on a foundation of having really great internal relationships. And I've always believed that CS has got to be more than just a name. It's, it's got to permeate through every, every single group. But clearly, there, there are you know, key parts of the organization where you need to be perfectly aligned as a CS leader and team. So product management, obviously, because you need to make sure you've got a product that delivers what it says it's going to do and a roadmap that's truly in line with what customers want. Mm -hmm. You need to work with a sales team that are setting the right expectations that you can then deliver on. A support team that are 
obviously dealing with the, the queries in the best possible way, but also feeding that intel back. A marketing team that's putting the right message out to the right time in conjunction with customer success. So with each of just those four groups, there's things that customer success should expect of those groups and vice versa as well. But where do you start? I think part of it for me is having a seat at the table because you need to have that influence to be able to, for the rest of the business to understand, no, no, this, with, customer success really is in the middle. But what would your advice be as you think about the relationship with other groups to make sure you're internally set up for success to be able to externally deliver on customer outcomes? Yeah, I think you're, you're kind of talking about where customer success sit really and whether it's mm. a kind of siloed team or you know, does it work as the kind of glue that binds everything together, right? Exactly, uh, exactly. And I think, uh, if, quite honestly, it, it obviously differs between different organizations. You could be both, which is the really good place to be, or you could be neither, <laughs> which is not a good place to be. And like you said, it doesn't. if you're not the, the former, which is you are its own department that has its own KPIs and its own targets, and you don't have a seat at the table, then you're not in a very good place, as mm. we discussed earlier. But you also need to be able to, ultimately, you will work with all these other teams because a lot of those things will influence, like you said, the, the health score, right? How many support tickets do they get? And, and what you find is you'll probably end up having about six different regular meetings every week, but they're all valuable. They're absolutely all valuable. And I think you need to work cohesively to become a customer-first organization. That is the only way you're going to do it is by working with all these people and raising your profile to the point of this uh, kind of podcast. Mm. But it's also how you respond to the different interdepartmental activities, like you know, product asking for product requests, sales asking for examples, the CFO asking for where we are with it, you know, in terms of renewal. You know, these things happen in conversation, or they happen in meetings, right? That you can discuss. So it can really make or break you about how you respond in that situation. What I mean by that is, hey, uh, you know, what's going on with this account? I don't know. Let me come back and check. They'll completely lose faith with you unless you can check within a very short amount of time or bring up a dashboard. You know, if you're able to answer those very quickly and say, "Oh yeah, we're actually we're here, here. They're using this. This is the health of the customer. They're up for renewal X, Y, and Z," and be able to churn that information out very quickly. So, I think you want to be the latter in that. You know, but you can only do that if you have strong relationships and strong conversations with everybody in the business. And you'll see that if you develop a, if you've got the data to back yourself up, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's credibility, right? I mean, it, we, we often talk about credibility in front of customers, but actually the same kind of disciplines and thought process that goes into building great external relationships are not all that different to what we need to do to build great internal relationships as well. I mean, I, I know one of the, the really effective ways that you communicate internally is that you have regular stand-ups with the rest of the organization, right? Where each mm -hmm. department goes in and gives a bit of a status update in terms of the you know, what, what's important, what's going on within the group, what are those kind of key stats that you're looking at, you know, mm. acknowledging great work amongst the team as well. And that all goes into building up credibility and allows others to, to see the impact that you have. And also how something, for example, if, if someone in, the, if a customer's got a huge need and product, we're able to turn around, whether it be a hot fix or an existing functionality or roll out new functionality. And that's made a real difference to a customer. And that's been represented in, a, in an NPS score or, or maybe a renewal or an upset opportunity. Calling that out because a lot of the yeah. you know colleagues that we work with are back office. You know, they, they, often they don't get a chance to talk to customers directly. But actually, showing how the work that they've done has directly impacted a customer positively is just huge. And not only do you get the credibility, but also they can acknowledge that things that they're directly doing makes a huge impact on the front line. Yeah, I think anything. It's just nice, you know. You you know you want to think of everybody as a team. 
you know, all working for the same goal. You want to make sure you're working in a happy environment and people are motivated. And ultimately, you know, they want to see, like I said earlier, the fruits of their labor. And, yeah. And, you, and a good way to do that, like you said, is in all hands. So if you get everybody on a webinar, it's very accessible these days. And you can get on Zoom with 200 people and it, it works. But you can present, you know, what you do. And I'll tell you what, things will soon start, um, you know, you still, still start seeing new opportunities within your business to talk to other people as well. And actually, they'll start coming to you. You can influence product as well. Yeah. So, you know, a good example quite a while back now, but we started doing your hands-on. I presented, you know, what we do in customer success and how we've checked in what we look at at Amplitz. It's only a 20-minute overview, so very accessible. But after that, I had somebody in the, the product development team come to me and, and a VP of engineering and said, that's really cool. I didn't know you guys did that. And I think maybe people take that for granted sometimes is that I think uh, any kind of customer-facing roles that they sometimes assume it's quite soft and fluffy sometimes. I think maybe that's the association. But we know from being in the industry, it's far from that now. But it's, it's still, you need to make sure that you're data-driven and that you are helping the business move in the right direction. Mm. But you'll get so many people coming into you after that. I mean, we did that meeting. We had product team come to us and saying, hey, can you do this with me? We had a sales team saying, hey, can you give that to me? And ultimately, they've now got access to, to the platform so they can access and self-serve that information themselves. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's exactly what we wanted to do. And coming back to this point, you know, that's obviously helped to raise the profile of CS. So don't be afraid. Don't be all British and shy <laughs> about boasting about what you do. We've got to learn from the Americans a little bit. And your, and your, uh, your leadership team at the game site, we need to wear a few more cowboy hats, I think. <laughs> well, I, what this does is tears exactly what you're talking about here. Yeah. This tears down the, 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 the walls between the silos. The more that you do yeah. this, they don't become walls. They just become connecting points. And, and that's yeah. a really important distinction to make. And just as a kind of closing thought, really, I mean, I think it would be foolhardy not to at least acknowledge where we are in the world right now. Obviously, we're still in the first wave. Hopefully, there is only one wave of, of COVID-19. And there's, there's mm-hmm. no doubt we've seen the impact of that felt both in, in the business landscape, but also customer success more specifically. For some organizations, customer success has never been more important than now. And that's my own viewpoint, particularly in any reoccurring revenue business. If, if customer success isn't coming to the fore now, I don't know when it will. Unfortunately, we know that hasn't been the case for every business. But mm-hmm. from your perspective, what, if anything, have you noticed in, in the last kind of two or three months? Have you, have you seen a trend both inside your business and others of CS really coming to the fore? Would you say it stayed about the same or, or, or the other way? What, what's your thought on that? So I think it's you know more important than ever actually. So you know at the moment there, there's not a lot of new business. The acquisition of new business is uh, much less as well. So all the re- the focus is on retention and stopping that leaky bucket. You know yeah. from, from a B two B perspective. I think uh, you know one of, one of the highest compliments that you can get from a customer is yeah everything's working well and we have no issues. And I don't think you should underestimate that whatsoever. Mm. I think we all like to have. You know, in terms of customer success, we talk about strategic initiatives, we talk about successful outcomes, and that's forward-looking. But right now, we can't look forward too much. So, you know, we have to really make sure that everything, we're supporting the customer in the right way. You know, they feel good about your partnership, and that's ultimately going to help you moving forward to build a long-lasting relationship. So I initially kind of, sometimes when I used to heard that, like, everything's going okay. You know, it's not an outstanding bit of feedback. It feels like mediocre. But don't underestimate it because if you're not getting that right, you're not going to be able to do any of the other stuff. Absolutely not be able to do it. So sometimes you just have to look back to the fundamentals. 
But yeah, I think it will change off the back of this and there's going to be much more focus on customer success post-COVID. Yeah, yeah. well said. And what a, probably a great place to, to, to finish the pod. Troy, I think this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, no problem, Adam. Pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast. Please follow, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about all of our episodes, please visit Gainsight.com. This podcast is produced and edited by StudioPod. To learn more about their work, go to StudioPodSF.com.